Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. So we left off on Wednesday with Jesus being arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, they take him to the home of Caiaphas the high priest for an executive session of the Sanhedrin to interrogate him. Caiaphas, the high priest. If we stand on the southern steps of the temple platform, we can do that today, standing there just as Jesus did, and later Peter will teach on those steps. I've taught on those very steps myself. But if we stand on those steps and we look south, that is, away from the temple, toward the south, I'd say five or six hundred yards away is the home of Caiaphas. Funny thing about the Holy Land, about the land of Israel in particular, every time one finds an archaeological discovery that is authentic, where an event in the Bible actually happened, someone is going to drop a church on top of it. And sure enough, the home of Caiaphas has a church on top of it, the church of Peter Galicantu, Peter and the Cock Crow. Now we've been to that church many times. And, oh, from the Kidron Valley, you climb a long set of stairs, steep and uneven, to get up to the top, the platform, if you will, where the house was built. Jesus would have been taken up those steps, dragged by a rope, flogged, knocked around, bloodied. And then at the top, at the entrance to the home, inside was a holding cell cut from solid rock. Jesus would have been lowered down through the flooring into that cell by ropes tied under his arms and then left there in the dark, not able to get out. Only way out is to be lifted out. And the Sanhedrin would meet and decide what they were going to do. They would then bring him out. They would interrogate him all the while. So those who arrested Jesus took him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the church of Peter Galicantu is today. And the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled, not the entire Sanhedrin, just the inner circle. But Peter followed at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. So Peter is in the shadows. They all ran. Peter's in the shadows. He's watching. He goes up those stairs, the long stairway, up to the top, right to the courtyard of the high priest. It would have been gated, of course. John tells us that John himself knew the servant girl who worked at the home of Caiaphas, who opened the gate to allow Peter and John to go in. Peter slipped in through the gate but then it was closed and John was locked outside. So Peter is in a relatively small courtyard with a locked gate and Jesus has been taken inside the house 
to be beaten a bit more and lowered through that hole down into the holding cell. Peter's there. The others are there, the ones, the guards who brought him, are there in the courtyard. The servant girl is there who opened the gate. And Peter's locked in. So Peter followed at a distance and he sat down with the guards. Now he's stuck. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. They didn't find any. Well, what has he done to deserve the death penalty? They couldn't find any legitimate cause. And finally, two came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Well, the others laughed. That temple had been standing for nearly a thousand years, built by Solomon and dedicated in 959 BC, destroyed by the Babylonians in 586, but rebuilt and dedicated in 516, greatly augmented by Herod the Great, beginning in AD 34, or 34 BC, and it was massive all those years. I'll destroy it and rebuild it in three days? Ha 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 ha, yeah, right, they said. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What, what's the testimony these men are bringing against you? Jesus refused to answer and kept silent, which really ticked off the high priest. And the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ the Son of God. Now my NIV translation reads, yes, it is as you say. But the Greek reads, you say. Then I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's a direct quote from Daniel chapter 9. Jesus identifies himself with that figure in Daniel, the Son of Man, who came on the clouds of glory and was given power, authority, and so on by God. Jesus claims to be that one. With that, the high priest tore his clothes. He said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, you, you heard the blasphemy. And that is a capital offense under Jewish law. What do you say? And they all said in unison, he's worthy of death. That, that, that's utter blasphemy. And they spit in his face. They struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, hey, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? Now, camera cuts out to the courtyard. While all this was going on inside, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl looked at him and said, yeah, you, you were with Jesus of Galilee. He denied, he said, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Peter denied 
knowing Jesus. Why did he do that? Ah, once again, we'll examine that in depth in our Lenten series on the Passion of Christ in the excursus on St. Peter's denial. The short answer is, he was afraid. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him. He's trying to get, get out through the gate, but it's locked. And someone else said, no, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I don't know the man. Then after a while, Luke tells us, after another hour passed, those standing there went up to Peter and said, no, you're one of them. Your accent, your Galilean accent gives you away. And remember Galilee? Galilee was a hotbed of radical revolutionary thought and action. Every revolt against the Roman Empire in the first century AD originated in Galilee. You're a troublemaker. Remember Nathaniel. Who, who is he? Jesus of Nazareth. Nothing good will come from there. Not because it's a tiny little town, but nothing but bad stuff happens up in Galilee. Keep away from that guy. You were with him. Your accent gives you away. You're a Galilean. And then he began to call down curses on himself. God damn it, he said. I don't know the man. And as he was saying it, a rooster crowed. Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. With that, the doorway opens. Jesus is being let out. He's all bloodied by now and knocked about. And as the door opens, and that, that door is only 15 feet from the center of the courtyard. That gate is only 15 feet from the center of the courtyard. The gate was open, and Peter dashed through that gate, ran down the street, collapsed in the bushes, and wept bitterly. Oh, poor Peter. He is devastated by what he did. Devastated. One tradition holds that as he left through that gate weeping bitterly and collapsing in a heap, he encountered Jesus' mother, Mary. Now, that's not in Scripture, but it wouldn't be surprising. Mary was in Jerusalem. Mary will be with him on the Via Dolorosa, his way to the cross. Mary will be at the foot of the cross, watch him die, and be given his body after he's taken off the cross. So it wouldn't be surprising that when Jesus was arrested and taken to the house of the high priest, that she would follow along, as did Peter, and perhaps some of the others, certainly John. And think of that. There's a wonderful painting that I've included in our Passion of Christ Lenten series of Peter and Mary. Can you imagine Peter? Peter's on the right in the painting. 
He's weeping bitterly. He has a white cloth in his hand, dabbing his eye. Mary has a white cloth on her lap. She's been crying. And can you imagine Peter looking into her eyes and saying, I, 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 I betrayed him. I disowned him. Peter is devastated, utterly devastated. Now we continue. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Pilate had moved a good portion of the 10th Roman Legion up from Caesarea Maritima, where they were stationed, to the Antonia Fortress, which is right off the northwestern corner of the temple platform, to keep an eye on things during Passover. A million people in town, most of them pretty unhappy with the Roman Empire. Just keep a lid on things. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. So Judas is surprised that Jesus has been condemned. Now that will take us into the motives of Jesus for what he did. When he found that Jesus was condemned, he went back to the, the house of the high priest, threw the silver coins at the chief priests, and said, I have sinned, I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they replied. Your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went out and hanged himself. There are only two suicides in the Bible. Judas hanging himself here and Ahithophel David's senior political advisor and grandfather of Bathsheba, who betrays Jesus, uh, betrays David when Ahithophel sides with Absalom in the rebellion against David. When it fails, Ahithophel goes home, puts his affairs in order, and hangs himself. Now you might say Saul killed himself on Mount Gilboa falling on his sword, but we have a we have another opinion on that. Perhaps someone else killed him, his servant, or better yet, a young man, a young man who happened by. We read that story in the story of King David right at the beginning of 2 Samuel. So that's up for a question. But two men for sure commit suicide, Ahithophel and Judas. And why? They both betrayed their Lord and master. Judas hanged himself. Now, I would argue that that is, that is not the action of a man whose plan worked. If Judas planned to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, $365.40, and then when Jesus was arrested and found guilty, he threw the money back and said, I betrayed innocent blood. No, there's something else going on here with Judas. Again, wait for the Lenten seminar. We'll look closely at the motive.
But the chief priest said, uh, no, they picked up the coins. We can't, we can't put blood money here in, in the sanctuary. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. And that's why it has been called the field of blood to this very day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Jeremiah, it's in Zechariah 11 and Jeremiah 19. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, the governor being Pilate, you're the king of the Jews? You say, replied Jesus, When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? Jesus made no reply, not to a single charge. He remained silent. He simply looked at them. To the amazement of the governor, the man is not trying to defend himself. Now, it was the governor's custom at the Feast of Pentecost, with all those people in town, as a gesture to the crowd to release a prisoner. Now, at that time, they had a notorious prisoner card called Barsabbas. Barsabbas. Bar, son, Abba, father. You get the irony in that? They have a prisoner, son of the father. Where Jesus is standing right before them, the son of the father. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked, which one do you want to release? Barsabbas? Or Jesus called the Christ? He knew it was out of envy they handed Jesus over to them. So while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. I've had really bad dreams here and don't about this. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. I, I've suffered greatly today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ. Crucify him, a voice in the crowd shouted. Another, crucify him, until it was a chorus of voices chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. They shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, Let his blood be on us and our children. And then he released Barabbas to them, but he, and he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. There's that flogging scene from Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium 
and gathered a whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took a staff. They beat him on the head with it again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own, his own clothes. Then they led him away to crucify him. All that takes place at the Praetorium. When we travel to Israel and we visit Jerusalem, we walk the stations of the cross, the Via Dolorosa. And the first station begins at the Praetorium. There's a church there, two churches actually, one of which has the original first century flooring on which Jesus would have stood as this happened. I teach the story on that spot. It's humbling indeed. They led him away to crucify him. Now, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. Cyrene is in Libya today. Because it was Passover, Jews from all over the Roman Empire came for Passover. Simon came from uh, Cyrene and his family, his wife, his two children. They forced him to carry the cross. Jesus had been beaten so badly, and I think, again, making reference to Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, he was beaten nearly to death. By the time they placed the cross on his shoulder to walk to Golgotha, and it's not very far, we walk it, we walk the stations of the cross in Jerusalem. The terrain's a little different today, but narrow streets. But if you're not stopping at each of the stops, it takes maybe five minutes, seven at the most, to go from the Praetorium to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Golgotha. It's not far. You begin by going downhill for a little stretch, maybe 40 or 50 yards, and then it levels out at the bottom. That's where Jesus fell. He face-planted on the pavement. He wasn't carrying the traditional cross, you know, the upright and the cross beam. He would have been carrying only the cross beam. The uprights would be permanently located. You can't put one in the ground and nail a man to it, he's going to be moving around and fall over. He carried the cross beam, maybe a six by six piece of wood, say five to six feet long. I once went to a lumber yard and asked for a piece of wood like that. I wanted to see how much it weighed, what it felt like. I could barely pick it up. They placed it on Jesus' shoulder, and he only made it 30, 30, 40 yards and collapsed under it, face planting on the pavement, that wood landing on the back of his neck. Simon of Cyrene and his family were there. They were there for Passover. They were buying postcards and water bottles. He was a big man. He, he stood out in the crowd, and the Roman soldier said, you, over here, get over here. 
and Simon helped him carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, you get that? Between verse 34 and 35, he's crucified. Matthew doesn't take us into the details like Mel Gibson does, but uh, imagine Simon and Mrs. Simon and the two boys. We, we meet the two boys, by the way, at the end of the book of uh, Romans, in Romans 16. And Simon's wife. But he's crucified. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. He's crucified naked. You can have a little loincloth on, like you see in art, uh, crucifixes and artwork. Part of the humiliation of crucifixion was hanging naked on a cross. And there they kept watch on him. Over his head they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Yeah, right. Save yourself. Come down off the cross if you can. And in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others. He can't save himself. Let him come down off the cross. They won't believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land from noon till three. Notice, we witness Jesus on the cross in the first three hours, from nine to noon, but we don't witness him on the cross in the last three hours. Darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, at the very end, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means in Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Pause there and think about it. Humanity took its worst shot at Jesus beginning with his arrest, his being flogged, beaten nearly to death, already in hypovolemic shock before he even picked up that cross. The first three hours, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they spit on him. Humanity did its worst. Humanity sank to its lowest point. We read in the Gospel according to John, the prologue, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God stepped into our world and fleshed as a person. And we killed him. From the sixth hour to the ninth, it's silent, it's dark. Humanity did its worst in the first three hours, in the last three hours. The exchange between God the Father and God the Son occurs. We read in Scripture that on the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself, and he paid the penalty for our sin before a holy and righteous God. Now, I know my sins. You know, I used to say jokingly in class, well, I haven't broken all Ten Commandments, and again, I guess I probably have, I guess I have. I've done some pretty bad things. But all the sin of all the people who have ever lived? My best friend growing up, Bill Higmeyer, became an FBI agent and ultimately head of the serial killer and child abduction unit for the entire FBI. And he would never talk about what he did. He felt it was his responsibility when a child was kidnapped. If you don't find them within the first 24 hours, chances are you're going, if you find them, they'll be dead. But he felt it was his responsibility to personally fly to where the parents lived to sit down with them and tell them their child had been found. They deserved that respect. But he said, I never told them what happened to that child because it would drive them mad. But he knew. He knew what happened to every one of those children who were kidnapped, who were brutally raped and murdered. He knew. And you think of that. He spent over 200 hours interviewing Ted Bundy on Death Row. You can watch it on Netflix. It's a Netflix movie about it. Ted Bundy did things that you can't even begin to imagine in your worst nightmare. And yet, Ted Bundy's sin, the sin of these people who kidnap little children and rape and murder them, Jesus took those sins on himself and paid the penalty for those sins before a holy and righteous God. We can't conceive of what happened between the sixth hour and the ninth when the exchange between Father and Son took place that enabled our salvation. Jesus cried out in a loud voice at the very end, and he gave up his spirit. He was taken down off the cross and placed in the tomb. Oh, 
I want you to think about all this. And if you'd like, come to the Passion of Christ Lenten series. We'll go into a lot more depth there. But this is beyond anyone's imagination. When we get to heaven and we stand in the presence of Christ, which we shall, and we look into his eyes, we will never, ever, in a million years, fathom the depth and the blackness of the suffering that he went through to bring us there. That's who he is and what he did for us. Thank you, folks. I'll be back with you on Monday with the resurrection. Bye-bye now. Thank you.